Welcome to another edition of the Coast to Coast podcast brought to you by Penalty Box Radio. You can find us on any of your favorite streaming platforms. We're just happy you tuned in with us today. Today on the podcast, it's a takeover again. Nick, Christian, I'm sorry, fellas. I, I got to take over the podcast. Got to get those episodes out, and I need to introduce the whole world to these wonderful people, part of the Junior Hockey Project here at Penalty Box Radio. If you're not sure what that is, head on over to PenaltyBoxRadio.com. And it should be the first thing you see there explaining what the heck this program is, why we're doing it, and see all the folks involved. And today we have Jamie Branjay on with us. And I know you said that your last name has a Dutch pronunciation, but I want to hear it, man. I, I want to know what it is. I need to know. Now I'm just curious. I grew up with a lot of Dutch friends and like learning the traditions. I went to a Dutch wedding over the summer and I was like, oh boy, wow, this is super cool. Everyone had like little clogs. Uh, pinned <laughs> to their uh, suit jackets and things like that as soon as they oh, wow. as soon as they came to the door. But yeah, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good, Matt. Thanks for having me on, of course. Thanks for welcoming me into the program. Uh, if you want to hear the pronunciation of my name, I'll be honest, I probably will not get it perfect either. It hasn't been <laughs> it hasn't really been spoken to me since we've been in Canada for two generations now. But uh, I believe the I believe the Dutch pronunciation of my last name would be Branier. I'll take that. You know what? That's a lot better than I was expecting. I'll take it. I'll 100% take that. Uh, we'll just use this podcast today as a getting to know you kind of thing. Because what we did with Owen is I just asked her a bunch of questions. And like I was telling you before this, none of this is scripted. Like we have no game plan going into this, which sounds super sloppy. But I've found out that it's just the best way to have these natural conversations with one another. Uh, what brought you into the wonderful world of sports? For myself, I came from a political science background and absolutely hated that. So I find <laughs> that everyone else's story is probably a lot more interesting than mine. It's actually, I mean, not to scare away all, all the potential listeners here, but mine's not too much more thrilling than that. I, uh, I mean, I was good at, good at the math and sciences and whatnot in high school, but I decided to take the probable misstep of going into arts in university for my undergrad I did history at York realized pretty quickly after I finished it that jobs in history aren't very easy to come by unless you're like amazing at it or spend eight hours a day in a library which I am neither of those things sadly <laughs> so after a year of just kind of kicking around after finishing my undergrad I looked into a program that's also at Centennial College in Toronto. Uh, it's a sports journalism program. It's been going strong for about 15 years now. Uh, you would probably know a couple of the contributors to it as uh, they do work with you at Sportsnet. And it had a pretty nice cast of like members of the sports media world here in Canada. So I figured, sounds cool. Like, and, you know, I, uh, obviously, like everybody else that will contribute to this program, I love sports and I've loved sports since I was a kid. I've been playing a couple different sports since I was, you know, four or five years old. So figured you know what might as well take one more step into probably another mistake for my career but <laughs> hey you know what we're we're here we've done it finished the program and now we're just trying to get get my feet started kind of anywhere that I can real realistically yeah I find that within any job but especially media it's those first few steps that you take outside of school that really set the tone like if you don't throw yourself out there immediately for lack of a better term you're kind of fucked 
Like, <laughs> you really just need to throw yourself at anything and everything. And I learned early on in my career that you just need to say yes to everything and then figure it out later. That's the best piece of advice that's ever been given to me. And I think it's one of the only pieces that I've really taken and have never like strayed away from. I mean, yeah, there comes a point where if you're working five different jobs, say no to something. But I mean, like, <laughs> if you're saying no out of just sheer laziness, then I don't think like this industry's for you. And like everyone, including yourself, that's joined the program just shows like that step one of, yeah, I'm going to say yes to this. Because like you were saying, it's a tough industry, man. Like history, it seems like a way tougher industry. I don't know <laughs> what the fuck you would do with a history degree. Like yeah. become a teacher or a professor. Like what was your plan there when you uh, went for that? <sighs> I, I mean, this is going to be painful to everybody who's ever cared about my future, but I, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't really know what my plan was when I went into that. I mean, did you go into it like thinking, Hey, I'm good at this. Uh, let's see if I can make money doing this. Cause that's sort of what I did with political science. It was like, Oh, I'm really good at law class in high school. I know how to debate people. And I thoroughly enjoy just like shoving my opinion down other people's throats. And then I went to university for it and I was like, fuck, I hate all these people. I don't enjoy this <laughs> program at all. No, I, I, I just, you're, you're asking me to like unshovel parts of my history that I've tried to bury <laughs> because they're like em embarrassing and they suck. But like, I think for the most part, it was just, uh, I did well with this in high school and I loved it. It was my favorite course all throughout high school. I have to credit my teachers. They were all awesome, but I don't think I really had a plan for where I was going to go next. It's just like, this is what I did well. And this is what I really enjoyed in school. So I'm going to continue to do so. So now you're in the wonderful world of sports. Do you have any like early childhood memories in the sports world, like going to games with people or just awesome events you've been to or watched on TV with people? Um, I think I probably the earliest memory I have in watching sports would be when I went to Vernon Wells first game back in Toronto I think this was probably like 2008 or 2009 when he was with the Angels. Um, yep. I remember his big-ass contract that nobody thought could be traded. Yeah, yeah. Anthopolis worked a miracle with that one. Yeah. But I remember, I'm pretty sure the Jays won on a walk-off in that game. And I remember going on the field afterwards, probably illegally because i would have been 14 at the time <laughs> you're still a junior jay <laughs> for the junior jays i wasn't sure what the age cutoff was it was like 12 years old oh god the police <laughs> are coming right now but yeah i i remember the walk-off and back at this time like i i love baseball now that's that's probably my strongest sport uh, in terms of interest in terms of like what i actually know about it right but uh i i didn't really care about baseball that much and i really started to get into it kind of like 2010 2011 and then not to go too far off track because this is a hockey-based podcast, but the season when the Jays traded for all those players from Miami, which is like Mark Burley, oh Josh Johnson, all those guys, yeah. that's when I really just started to dive deep in and was trying to go to like as many games as I could at the I, time. I remember that trade. I was in first year university in the cafeteria with my best friend, and we were just eating, and there were TVs in the cafeteria. And they, the, I think it was playing like the equivalent of CP24, just up near Ottawa. And it popped up on the screen that the Jays pulled this trade off. And I was the most excited for Josh Johnson for some reason. Yes. Yep. I yep. like, <laughs> I am a sucker for pitchers. Like I grew up playing baseball and I modeled my, uh, my, 
like everything I did after Roy Holiday and I did everything I did after uh, Dustin McGowan. I fucking love Dustin McGowan. <laughs> Anybody who says any bad talk about Dustin McGowan, I will find you. Because that man <laughs> is a saint and it's too bad that his injuries kind of fucked his career. Yeah, an awesome I, wish, I wish he could have done better. I, I thought the trio of like Dusty, Doc, and Burnett were going to kick so much ass. Like I, I was like, so excited for that. And I love like my pitching like style growing up was throw the ball as hard as I can and then mix in a change up. And that was it. So I love <laughs> the fireballers. Like I love those guys in the league right now that can juice it like a hundred. Like yeah, uh, that was uh, Pearson uh, for the Jays is my guy. Oh my god. I really, really hope that he's gonna be everything that he's supposed to be. I mean Yeah, me too. After we traded our first fireballer in Cindergard and then <laughs> well, you wanna watch him throw hundred two miles an hour with the Mets? Nope, I'd wanna watch Nate Pearson throw hundred six with the Jays. Oh no. We already brought up the Marlins trade, which didn't really work out. Let's not go into the Dickey trade. Come on. Now. I loved R.A. Dickey because he was just so volatile to watch. It was either he had a great game or it was, what the fuck is this? No, and circling was... back to your Junior Jays thing, I used to work at the uh, Rogers Center and I sold 50-50 tickets there. One of the best jobs. I promise you, if anybody's listening to this and they're like, wow, 50-50 tickets, that sounds like shit. It's the most fun thing ever. You get to go to the games for free. You get to talk with people all day long, which is like, I don't shut the fuck up really, but you get to hang out with people all day, people who love baseball. And I remember people would always come up to me on junior J's days and be like, Hey, how do I get on the field? And then I remember one time it was like this 17 year old, but you could tell like he wasn't trying to be a shit disturber. He was like genuinely interested in just going on the field because he was that big of a fan. Like he was just hardcore face paint, had everything going on foam finger. And he's like, am I too old to go on the field? I was like, well, first of all, I don't know why you're asking me, but second of all, I was like, yeah, let's go. Cause I knew like the one person at each gate, it was just different security people. And then I went up to him. I was like, Hey, can this guy go on? He's like, yeah, really? We can't say no to anyone. I was like, Oh, oh so really? I could go down there. They're like, yeah, it's just called junior J Saturdays, but we have no right to be like, no, to like a hardcore fan. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't know that. I feel like because that. <laughs> that's such a cool thing to do. Like it's such an awesome experience to be able to, go on to a professional playing field. I, I remember before COVID hit me and a couple of my best friends went to Indiana to go see a Raptors and Pacers game. And this was when the scarves were a big thing with the Raptors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We drunkenly wore four scarves and went to the game and nobody knew what we were doing because it was an away arena. Regardless, <laughs> after the game, they have this thing where you can go on the court and shoot from like the elbow or shoot a free throw. All four of us were pretty drunk. I went up, and uh, you know what a wedgie is in basketball, right? Where for you, the viewers at home. <laughs> yeah, for, for the viewers at home, it's when you shoot it, and it gets jammed between the rim and the backboard, and it oh, just okay, sits right, there. Yeah, yeah I, I managed to pull off a wedgie, and everyone around me booed because there was, like, two basketballs, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what you want from me. I was like, I don't know how this happens. And then some dude came out of nowhere and jumped and popped it out. I was like, I'm too drunk for this. We're done with this right now. <laughs> Um, I wanted to circle back because we're talking about all these professional arenas and things like that. Is there a place that you've been to or want to go to that's like, this is the best arena I've ever been to, or this looks like the best arena? Um, I mean, when it comes to like basketball, hockey arenas, I don't really, I wouldn't consider myself to have like a strong opinion on one or the other. I mean, mm -hmm. there are some historical ones that would be awesome and i mean obviously we have uh, we have 
Scotiabank in Toronto, which has been there for a long time. It's a great, uh, great arena. But I find it very average. I think it's just like this is what an arena is supposed to be, and that's it. But that's why, like, that's what I'm saying. It's like that's how I feel about a lot of basketball or hockey arenas. I mean, most yeah. of them are just like vaunted in history because they've been around for a long time and they've done a lot. Like uh, obviously, you know, Madison Square Garden would be the top example of that but msg is so weird like you go in the concourse and everything and it's this revitalized modern thing and you go into like the actual arena or the actual court and it's like wow okay now this is the history part that i was missing out on oh yeah yeah i've yeah, never been i like i feel like people should go to msg just to soak in the history if you're a sports fan it's like it's a great barn like it's a lot of fun it is it's just so weird the parallel between the concourse and the actual arena itself because the concourse is so well lit it's like led lighting everywhere it's super bright you'll never see anything different and then you walk into the barn and it's like okay this is like 70s lighting i feel like all the bulbs <laughs> are going to burn out like what the fuck is going on yeah i could i i guess i could i could see that i mean from what i've heard that's kind of the feeling that you get at fenway in boston circling back to baseball again unfortunately but that place is just like the actual seats are complete garbage and it's just it's such an unpleasant experience the seats are all too small like no this is just what i what i understand from what i've heard from many people but then when you get to the concourse one it's been it's been restored like it's not it's actually awesome but then when you get to the seats just like oh my god this is is what it was like to be a baseball (laughs) game in 1912 like oh my god i need i need to get to fenway i think fenway's on the bucket list i went to uh pardon me i went to wrigley two years ago yeah two years ago funny story about that uh it was supposed to be for a bachelor party but my friend's fiance at the time who sucks and i'll say that on air she is not a (laughs) nice human being and I could spend this whole podcast on it. And if any of my buddies are listening, you know damn well who I'm talking about. But um, we ended up going to Chicago anyways, just as a trip. Basically, it was a fuck you trip to her. Um, we went and Wrigley Field is like just old school throughout. You walk oh, yeah. in the concourse, old school. You sit around like the field, old school. The bleachers, old school. Everything just feels like it's so old, but it's so awesome. And it's so old to the point that if you don't pay attention to what seat you have, you might have a giant ass pillar in your way. We were so <laughs> lucky that like two seats to the left of us had a giant pillar. It was like, wow, that blows. And we asked the guy too, we're like, how much did you pay? If you don't mind us asking, we're like tourists here. And he basically told us he paid like one fifth of the price we paid for our tickets. I was like, well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I guess that evens out. See, my, my issue is I haven't traveled I mean, I've traveled, but not to not to places with the explicit purpose of like going to a sports event. So, mm-hmm. when it comes to stadiums that I've been to, it's uh, Scotia Bank and Rogers Center many, many, many times in Toronto. Yeah, um, and Nationals Park in Washington, and those are the uh, that... stadiums. Those are the professional stadiums I've been to across all sports. <laughs> Nationals Park sounds like a lot of fun, though. Like baseball diamonds to me are a much better. Like, if you want to walk around and enjoy an arena or a venue, I think, like, diamonds are the place to go. They have the most personality, for sure, I would say. Exactly. Like, you go to Comerica, and it's the Detroit Tigers, but who cares? The baseball park is so cool. Uh, I want to go to AT&T Field real bad in San Francisco. Yes, yes. I just want – I. A, San Francisco is cool as hell, but B, I want to go see a game there. I remember I went to San Fran for work, and I missed the game by a day. 
So I was kind of <laughs> pissed off. And then too bad, too bad. my timing for stuff like that is impeccable. Um, the Austin Matthews first game, I was in Chicago for work and I was like, fuck it. I'll go see the Blackhawks first game because I have a night off. And I went and all I had were texts from people saying, oh, Matthew scored. Oh, Matthew scored two goals. Oh, Matthew scored three goals. Oh, he got four. I was like, hey, fuck all of you. I was like, I'm <laughs> live. I'm well aware that I'm missing out on the Leafs right now. For me, like, I'll never forget where I was for that Matthews four goal game. And I never thought that that would be a staple in my hockey fandom. Do you remember where you were for Matthews four goal game? Uh, no. <laughs> no I yeah, don't. exactly. Because it's not like that big of a deal. I mean, Leafs fans will be like, it's the best thing ever. We love Austin Matthews. It's like, well, yeah. But you don't really need to know where you were for that. But for me, it's entrenched in my mind because people wouldn't shut the hell up about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my moment for that was um, uh, Jose Bautista's bat flip in oh. 2015. Yeah, And I will always remember where I was for that. I was uh, 10 rows behind the Rangers bullpen. I, That's I had, sick. I had tickets to that game. That was That's the- incredible. Probably okay. one of the best nights of my life for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's going to be tough for you to ever go to a sporting event in your life that beats that. Oh, no, it's never going to happen. Like, unless you go to a wild overtime Stanley Cup winning game. Like, that moment is entrenched in not only baseball history, but like Toronto sports history. And as a Toronto sports fan yourself, like, I don't know. I think that's just, that's the best moment that I can think of as like, I mean, I'm not an old person. I'm 26 years old. In my sports <laughs> history, I think that's one of the coolest moments. Yeah, I mean, well, I was born a few weeks after Joe Carter hit his walk-off. So oh, nice. as far as like recent Toronto sports history goes, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I do remember where I was for Kwai's buzzer beater. Uh, I, I was cried for... for that buzzer beater. I don't know <laughs> why I was just literally overwhelmed with emotion. That tear dropped. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, I'm not sad about this. I guess I was just so overjoyed. Yeah, that one was tough. I, I mean, this is when I was in my sports journalism program last year so like we spent a ton of time together uh we watched a lot of the games together but for that one for whatever reason i was by myself so i was watching it on a stream online because i didn't have cable at the time (laughs) yeah so i heard i was in an apartment building and i heard people like screaming from a couple rooms over and then like five seconds later he hit the shot on my screen it's like oh well awesome that's that's why people are freaking out that's the worst (laughs) thing about streaming live sports yeah i have this thing like if i'm my home setup i have four monitors around me and one is dedicated to like streaming or watching something and one is like usually half dedicated to twitter i'll be watching whatever it is and then i'll look at my twitter feed and it's like oh I guess the game is about to end in a couple seconds (laughs) or it's like oh i guess there's a touchdown coming it's like well i did this to myself yeah, I get I get the same thing with uh, our fantasy, my fantasy football group chat is where the, uh, sorry they'll be they'll be like a few seconds ahead watching on cable I'll be watching on a stream and so, suddenly seven messages yo what a play by Josh Allen yeah big time Bills it, fan and then I'll be like oh well I think Buffalo's gonna score soon let's see what happens here <laughs> I I know it's coming I have a feeling I have a little inkling. <laughs> Um, you're a big time Toronto sports fan and I want to talk Leafs with you. I want to get this conversation going about the Leafs because, uh, not a lot of people, a, in this penalty box radio demographic really get this deep dive on the Leafs. Like there's a lot of attention on the Leafs here in Toronto. We obviously know that across Canada, the joke has been made that like sports nets called Leafs net TSN is like <laughs> yeah. the, the, just there's a Leafs pun to be made there somewhere. Like it's just the ongoing joke that here in Canada, 
we only give a shit about the Leafs. And I mean, our programming is kind of built that way. (laughs) But regardless, I just want to start off with like a generalization of the moves they made. What do you think? Bringing in Thornton, bringing in guys like Wayne Simmons, uh, Jimmy Vesey, all these guys, uh, TJ Brody even. What do you think of all the moves that the Leafs made? It's, I I don't know. It's, it's it's hard to talk about them realistically because we all knew coming into this offseason that they were pushed so close against the wall with the cap that any move that they were going to make was going to be signing guys to uh, vet minimums at yeah. 700k. So we knew that coming in. They got a couple guys to bolster the defense, which needed bolstering very, very badly. So <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's like when, when they brought in Spezza last year. Um, we know Thornton's like not going to give big minutes to this team. Uh, yeah. It's not likely to happen. Uh, we know Simmons isn't really likely to give big minutes to this team either. He's not going to give a ton of uh, ton of production, reasonably speaking. But it's I mean they got they got veterans that can help guide the younger guys to what they need to be doing, you know, a yeah. little bit better. Like this whole the whole core of this team is still under twenty five. Like they still have a bit of room to grow before they all get their big paydays and the team just falls off the side of the earth but what do you mean back to the Vesa Toscala days and the Justin <laughs> Bogey days those are the greatest Ponikarovsky, yeah. Antropov yeah, um, there's some unpleasant names in that history <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun I mean we could do a deep dive on all the people that the Leafs have had and we're like oh yeah we're gonna win the cup <laughs> Jason Blake um <laughs> But circling back to what you were saying, too, I feel like last year when they went and picked up Spezza, it was like, hey, this is our leadership, and that's it. Because you look around the rest of the team, and it's like, yeah, they have John Tavares. But it's like Tavares isn't an old man by any stretch of the the imagination. Now they bring in a guy like Joe Thornton, and Jumbo has been around everything to the point where he said he'd do something if he scores four goals in one game. Uh, I I think, like, having another voice in the locker room is going to help out tremendously they could have used that veteran leadership in the playoffs. They just collapsed in Columbus. Like that was, that was all it was. It was another collapse because one person in Spezza saying like, Hey boys, we got to turn this around. And then John Tavares being like, Hey, we got to turn this around your generic, like hockey room, locker room talk kind of thing. Now you have Thornton, you have a third guy being like, Hey fuckers, we got to do something about this. And I think that's going to go a long way. Uh, the one thing I am really excited about, and no one's talking about him, is I'm thrilled that the Leafs signed Jimmy VC for as cheap as they did to play like that third line can fill in on the second line role. I think this kid hasn't been given like a big shot. He had one decent year in New York and everyone was like, well, we don't really care for Jimmy V anymore. The highly touted guy coming out of college hockey. And now he's getting another shot with a Leafs team that arguably has more firepower than any other team he's been on. Yeah, that's true. Like, He's, I mean, he hasn't really produced to a, to like a a strong extent at any point in his career though yet. So I think that's probably why people are not that like, not that interested in it. I mean, yeah, like the most goals he's had is 17. He's a goal scorer. He does not play defense. I watch tape on this guy. I've watched him play like live games. He does not know what defense is, which is fine. (laughs) I understand like the Leafs problem is they don't have defense, blah, 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 blah. But this dude is legitimately just a scoring winger. You flank him with a guy like Kerfoot who can forecheck, backcheck kind of thing and slide him up there with a guy like Mikheyev who's on the body. Then I think it's fine. You can have VC there, but 
I think VC could score 40 points this year in a third line role, which is weird to say, because I think guys like Mikheyev could find themselves on the third line if he doesn't uh, perform there. I think the clear cut person to bump up and take a spot would be VC. I don't see Kerfoot bumping up. I don't see Nick Robertson making the team. I just think it doesn't make sense whatsoever. But I think the guy that would propel to the second line if anyone slips up is VC, and I could easily see him scoring 20 goals if he's flanked by John Tavares and Willie Nylander. Yeah, that's. But then at the same time, like you kind of get the feeling that most players that they're gonna slot that have that, you know, high fourth line, low third line skill set are gonna score forty points when they're paired with the another two great guys on the second line. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what I would say is he's getting signed for nine hundred thousand. Like that's a cheap contract for that level of production. Like. 40 points isn't out of the question. Like that's certainly can do that. That's not out of the question. And to get that kind of production out of 900,000 for a guy, that's, like, that's, that's only been in the league for three years, like he's, or four years, sorry. It's like he's not old. I mean, he's only 27. He's still, still can produce, maybe still can grow in a few different ways. I mean, he's got like three years left to show people what the hell he can do before he goes to like the KHL. <laughs> yeah and like that's the sad truth because i mean the khl will gobble this guy up as they love their high school forwards and he'll do well there he'll make a lot of rupees and have a great time in russia but i mean it, he obviously wants to play in the nhl and he put up 20 points last year with the sabers it's the buffalo freaking sabers and <laughs> now he's moving to the leafs where they have a lot more firepower and i'm a lot more excited about it uh the hot button question right now is frederick anderson going to remain a toronto maple leaf I honestly don't know. I wish I could tell you. I wish I could come up with some sort of speculation, but I've been so puzzled at this, just looking all over it, and I've gone through the pros and cons. Freddie's a great goalie. Freddie can do this. Freddie can come up with a big save out of his ass. Yeah, but Freddie chokes under pressure and lets in the biggest ducks in the playoffs sometimes. And, <laughs> and it's like, well, but then they have Jackie Campbell. It's like, yeah, and then they have Aaron Dell to back up Campbell, so if they do end up trading Freddie like by the deadline and then Jack starts. It's like, I don't know. I, I honestly, it's puzzled me for so long. What's your take on Freddie? Uh, I, I, it's, I don't know. It's, it's tough. I'm, I'm completely, uh, completely biting my tongue right here, but I like, I've, I'm kind of with you. Like he's put up regular season numbers, which is awesome. And that's, the least you can ask of a goaltender at this point. I mean, he's gotten us to the playoffs. Or, uh, sorry, I'm not supposed to say us. We're we're professionals here. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's gotten we're, the we're least non-biased. <laughs> truly, have no favorite teams. <laughs> he's gotten the least in the playoffs the past couple of years. Like he's done well enough to to start for this team, but at the same time, you're asking him to take on a higher role that he has not shown over the past couple of years that he's capable of taking that step. So. I, I'd have to say at the very least, like this year, he has to show that he's capable of something in the playoffs. Like I think another first round exit, especially in d- disappointing fashion, like the ones that we've had the past two seasons, probably going to have to cut ties on him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they need a better replacement than Jack Campbell. Like that's, that can't be your number one guy going into 2021. I think this That's... is the best year that Freddie's had like lined up for success. It's a 56 game season. He's got a solid backup goaltender. He hasn't had a good backup in, I don't know, ever. Can you think of one? Like 
Ben Scrivens he had. He had a bunch of people who were just not great. And now it's shortened schedule. Freddie doesn't get the full load. Let's say out of the 56 games, he plays what? 40? And then give Jack 16? He, then he's super refreshed for the playoffs if the Leafs make it, which they should. Like, yeah, all you're yeah. asking Jack Campbell to do if you play 16 games, win eight. Like, just yeah, go 500. Yeah. That's all you need. If you win any more, that's fine. If you win slightly less, whatever. Just be serviceable to the point where there's not a goaltender carousel. And, like, if Freddie gets hurt, I'm okay with throwing Jackie in there for a week or two. Like, that, that's fine. I've never felt that way about a backup goaltender ever. Like, yeah, that's just, and that, that's why they brought him the in, last, right? Yeah, the last backup I remember being like, I have a soft spot for him was Michael Telquist. Like, and that's <laughs> years ago. And now it's like, give Freddie a decent backup. And I think the rest is just going to help him out in the long run and hopefully keep him fresh for the playoffs. If they don't get out of the first, if they don't get out of the, I don't know how high I want to set up expectations for this team. Where is the threshold where if they make it to that point, big moves won't come. I'd say at this point, second round. Like, like make I'd, it into the second round or get out of the second round? Uh, just make it in. They need just they just need to win a playoff round. There needs to be some progress. Like I, yeah. we haven't I think, had we haven't had this coaching staff with Keefe and Dubas working as a team, just the team that they want to set up for long enough to say that if they don't like that we shouldn't be looking at Stanley Cup appearance or or conference finals appearance at this point yet. I, I don't like, there's no, but reason when do you to... start looking for it though? Cause I mean, the window's closing with everyone's contracts, like slowly coming up. You might lose the best goaltender this team has seen in years. Yeah. But I mean, it's, I, I prefer to look at it in steps. Like they've uh, three straight, three, three straight years with first round exits. You have to take one step. You can't, you can't jump right to the conference finals at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with the lightning, right? Like they stumbled a shit ton of times, got slammed in the first round of the playoffs by the blue jackets. They're like most, or most recently before winning the cup, they struggled to make the playoffs like every other year, but they were making it like first round, second round. So I've always like drawn the comparison of this Leafs team to that Tampa Bay team and the people in Tampa Bay, they didn't get rid of their guys like Stamkos. They held yeah. on to him, whereas all of Leafs Nation is like, well, we need to trade Austin Matthews right now. No, we need to trade William Nylander. No, we need to trade Mitch Marner. And it's like, how about you just give it time? And I know everyone's like, well, we've given it time. It's like, no, no, no. Give it time with this core. Stop thinking yeah. about your Phil Kessel days. Stop thinking <laughs> about your Jason Blake days. Stop thinking about like your old Matt Sundin days. Give it time with this core. Let this core do something. I say they, they've got two to three years before this core is kaput. That's it. Like before Matthews decides to go and not resign with the Leafs before Nylander's traded for assets to salvage something before it goes back into a mini rebuild. Like that's just the way the NHL is right now. I, I don't think that a first round appearance, like we're talking about here, is going to keep these players safe. I think if they don't make it out of the first round, you're going to lose a Matthews, Marner, and Nylander in the next offseason. You think all three or just No, 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 just them? one, just one. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. That would be the biggest, like, panic reaction. <laughs> no, nah, we got out of the first round, trade the core. See you later. <laughs> I, I think first round exit this year, Anderson's done for sure. Like, I don't think they re-sign him if, if there's another first round exit this year. But beyond that, like, I don't know. Like, Nylander's contract is such a bargain. You can't I love dump Nylander's that. Contract. Can't dump it. 
but Marner and Matthews, like, we're paying them a lot, and you, I mean, you'd probably look at Matthews first before Marner, I would say. To keep and, or to deal? Uh, to deal, yeah. Really? You'd trade Matthews before Marner? I think at this point, with where they are in their career trajectories. Man, I, I'd, take, I'd take Matthews like 10 times over. I, I mean, it's close, but Matthews has certainly shown, I, I guess I'd say, less interest in staying here at the very yeah, least. But I, and, also, I also think that's a lot of media propaganda. And I think like playing into Marner's a Canadian, Marner's a Toronto boy, that all plays into it. Whereas Matthews is just, he's a kid from the desert and like he's playing in a huge hockey market. I think that has to be some sort of appealing for him. That's true. Like it's, there's, it's, it's hard. There's different sides to it. And I'd also say in terms of skill set, like they both offer things that like not a lot of players offer. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to replicate them. They're both. Matthews has that wicked wrister, but Marner has a vision that like maybe 1% of the league has. Marner's playmaking is like, it's, it's Crosby level. Very few. Which very it's, few it's, that can match it. It's like young Crosby level. Not as good as young Crosby, but it's up there. Like his IQ is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. But, then, but like Matthew's deceptive shot, Matthew's like being able to stick handle and use his big frame to get in through people. Like he's a power forward sniper, which you don't see in the league. Like that's an Ovechkin kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not saying Ovi's that Matthew's. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not to say like Matthew's is Ovi because I think Ovi's like in a world of his own because the guy's an animal on and off the ice the dude like partying in the fountain ovechkin's stanley cup celebration is forever my name in one of my dynasty leagues was a <laughs> that year when ov won the cup and then as soon as he went in the fountain i was like well that's the pitcher now i was like it's a- <laughs> i love yeah, that picture. Yeah. it's like my favorite sports pitchers of all time are tiger woods winning the most recent masters that he did and ov in a fountain like just two completely different pitchers and the bautista bat flip if i had to throw in another yeah, that's that one's up there. There was, I had one picture that I saw recently. I think it was with, related to the Braves playoff run this year that I thought, like, damn, that's an all-time picture. Like, that's such an awesome picture. But I can't. I, I was it I, an Acuna bat flip? Is that dude's a? Monster. Oh no no no! <laughs> I, I, I love the Braves. I think the Braves are such an exciting team. They're yeah, they're amazing. Like. And I, I will obviously we have a soft spot for Freddie Freeman up here, but oh yeah, I that love team Freddie. is very, very good, and I think they're going to be good for a very long time. They have such as... a nice little core. Like I like, remember when people were fired up for Ozzy Albie's, and now it feels like people forgot about poor Ozzy because guys like Acuna yeah. are on the team, and like uh, Travis Darno has exploded out of nowhere, which is really cool to see for him. But like, yeah, good for him. People are just kind of forgetting about Ozzy Alves, and he's like, "Well, no, I'm just going to play a solid second base for you guys." Thanks. No, he's, he's one of the better second basemen in the league, and he's yeah. often overlooked. Like you don't you don't hear about him too often. Yeah, I'm excited like Soroka, for that team. They have guys like Soroka on that team. Soroka, uh, Max Fried as well. Tuki Toussaint, who I think is going to be a lot of fun to watch. They have another yeah, guy. If, they, if who, he ever makes it, he's uh, he's yeah. been toiling in the minors. He's been one of those. Next, next year, next to next year kind of guys for a long time now, I think. The Braves have this prospect. He's a bigger dude. He's a pitcher. I forget who he is, but I remember watching him play in AAA, and I was like, well, this kid's going to be fucking good. But now I can't even find him. 
and now I'm upset because that just shows I'm a shitty baseball scout. That's why I'm <laughs> not covering baseball right now. There's nothing like this pandemic has taught me one lesson and well, one sports related lesson. It's I won't mind paying for a $14 beer once sports comes back. Oh God. Yes. Oh God. Yes. Like nothing beats walking into the Rogers center, going up to those fridges and being like, yeah, I'll take a tall boy. And they're like, okay, that's $18 and a cow <laughs> and a down payment. How would you like to pay? Oh. No, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> okay. I know this is a hockey podcast, but you've said you've been to a live baseball game and you've obviously been to, you've been to the Scotiabank arena. What atmosphere do you like more? It's honestly, I, I mean, I haven't been to see a Leafs game since I was like eight, mm-hmm. I think. And that was a preseason game. Like I've never actually seen a regular season Leafs game live before. Just mm-hmm. rather embarrassing to say, but. Nah, I mean, uh, the ticket prices in Toronto were fucking ridiculous. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't. It's, you, like, I, it's a mortgage. You need to I cannot justify spending like 180 bucks to go. To go you know, see them play like the shittiest the team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would probably say I prefer the atmosphere in the Sky or in the Rogers Center. I almost said it. I don't know. Um, Sky Dome's a better name there. I would have accepted that. <laughs> uh, I certainly I would appreciate the atmosphere in the Rogers Center when the dome is open. Dome closed, yeah. it's a fifty fifty shot. Holy fuck. Dome closes, I'm sweating to death. I'd rather sit if you've never been to the Rogers Center, if you sit is it third base side or no it's first base side if you sit first base side in the middle of the summer bring like four tubes of sunscreen or you're going yes, to melt yes like sir. <laughs> i'm half asian and i don't sunburn easily but holy fuck you bring me to a game at the rogers center in august on first base side i'm roasting like that it's just way too hot in there yeah uh, i i have a very negative memory of a game that i went to when they played <laughs> the royals in 2015 burley pitched i think eight shutout innings <clears throat> nice won the game it was an awesome game i put sunscreen everywhere but i forgot uh, i forgot my legs oh so that's the worst the next day i woke up and my legs were actually tomatoes like it's yeah. not even like damn my legs are red like this i i had to call in sick to work i like i couldn't walk around <laughs> fuck that's a is that the worst sunburn you've ever had I think so. I think so. Yeah. Like that was unbelievable. It's always interesting hearing people's like worst sunburn stories. I think my worst is uh, in grade 12 at my high school, this organization came by and they're like, Hey, we're going to like organize a trip to Cuba. If people want to go for their grad trip. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. I want to go on that. So I ended up going. And on the first day as like someone in grade 12, you are very stupid and you're like, I'm just going to drink a lot of beer and get hammered. It's a trip to Cuba. <laughs> so I go and I get hammered on the beach. I make friends with the bartenders on the first day. And I wake up four hours later, still on the beach, burnt to a crisp. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember being like, well, I've kind of fucked up this whole week long vacation now. When I came home, I had to go to like a doctor and get burn cream. Oh my god, really, eh? Yeah, it was that bad. But like during the week, I was like, well, waking up sucks. This hurts. Getting in the shower sucks. This hurts. I need like four shots of tequila to start my day or I'm going to literally just hurt myself all day long with this sunburn. (laughs) And people would, it was a good talking point, I guess, because I met a lot of people. They're like, oh, you're burnt. I was like, oh, am I? I couldn't tell. Thank you. (laughs) I'll never forget like being picked up by my parents and the look of disappointment they had on their face. Like, we just asked you to wear sunscreen. And I was like, well, yeah, I know, but free beer and I fell asleep. Yeah, I, I hear you on that one. I had 
this is like I was a kid, so there's no beer involved here. I was probably like 12 or 11. <laughs> but uh, my family went to Sauble Beach, which is in northern Ontario. It's on yep. Georgian Bay. Uh, I'm sure people are listening in Nashville are like, what the hell are these guys talking what, what about? What is a Sauble Beach? <laughs> <laughs> so we were there. Uh, huge waves at that beach. It's awesome. It's a great time. But when uh, I was a kid, we put on sunscreen and we went in and we just, me and my brother were just in the water for like seven, eight hours. Yeah. And then when we got home at night, like 7, 7 p.m. rolled around and we just like, I remember spending most of that vacation. We were there for four days, I think, uh, in the motel, lying on the bed with like ice packs just covering my body. We, <laughs> oh my God. We just like did not move for most of that vacation. It was torture. It was unbelievable. And like as a kid too, you like your pain threshold. A lot of people say it's like super high, but no, as a kid, your pain threshold's low. I don't care what you say. You're just sitting there. You're like, oh, fuck, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. And there's nothing you can do because you don't know how to deal with this in your life. And it's like, mom, dad, help now, please. Yeah. Well, there's certain uh, physical pain threshold. No, kids can't handle it. But no. I think ex- existential pain. Yeah, I think kids are a little bit better Oh, with yeah, because so. kids just wake up the next day. It's like, yeah, I guess I can just continue my life. It's not that bad. I'm 12 years old <laughs> and I don't like own a house. I don't do this. I don't have a car payment. Yeah, yeah I, like, exactly. People always talk about, wow, I'd love to go back and like be in high school. No, I'd love to go back and be in like elementary school. Like yes. that is the least amount of responsibility. Wake up, watch cartoons, eat breakfast, go to school, come back, do like an hour of homework, and then do whatever the fuck you want. Exactly. Like, whereas I, high school is like, oh shit, my future's coming up. Oh God, I got to do a paper. It's like, no, no, no. I don't want to go back to high school. Don't care yeah. for that. Like yeah, I had a like bowl cut gotta... for grade nine and 10. I don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my hair cutting grade nine and 10 was what amounted to a bowl cut, but I have incredibly curly hair. So it was just like a big, a curly bowl cut. It was just messy in every direction. And every time I see a picture of myself in grade 12, I'm just like, Oh, go get that away. Man. Like hide grade, it, hide it. grade eight and grade nine. I remember big ass bowl cut and like a mustache. And I was like, Oh, this is fine. Everyone my age has like a bowl cut and like a mustache <laughs> show up to grade nine. I was like, what the fuck? This is just me. Grade 10, like halfway through, I ended up like, fucking shaving the mustache and getting an actual haircut and then i remember i was like wow i'm actually making more friends now <laughs> i was like i didn't know these would correlate yeah uh, if only that, i learned the same if only <laughs> is that like is that the worst haircut you can remember because i always remember wanting frosted tips and i'm really glad i never got frosted tips oh i i never did anything so crazy i <laughs> yeah i was like i don't know i think it was just kind of a very reserved rebellious phase when i was like 15 16 Heck yeah. of my parents would always take me like every month to get a haircut and i always had a short haircut when i was a kid yeah and i was like you know what i'm growing my hair out this is gonna be awesome and then it just <laughs> turned out to be like really ugly and really not sucked awesome. with the uh with the pandemic I, like as soon as it started i was like i'm not i'm not shaving my beard and i'm not cutting my hair that lasted i don't know three weeks <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it was actually, it was probably like two months. And then at the end of it, I was like, yeah, this needs to stop now. I need to like shave my beard or at least trim it down and just look like an actual human being. And then November came this year and I had to just completely rip off my facial hair, which I haven't done in over three years. So I felt like a child. And like, <laughs> this was around the same time where I was doing all these interviews with you guys. And I was like, great. This is November and I'm interviewing a bunch of people to join this junior hockey program, but I look like a fucking idiot because I have just a mustache right now. And <laughs> as the month kept going, we had those like second and third talks. I was like, 
these people are not going to think I'm credible whatsoever. I was like, this is not <laughs> going to go well for me. So I'm just happy that my facial hair is growing back. So I look like someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, I don't, that's not a, that's not a daily battle that I have to have in my head because I just like don't really grow facial hair. If I, I could grow out a beard for two months and it would just look, uh, you'd be like, just hey, did, you, did you forget to shave this morning? Like, <laughs> I, part of me, like I, I want for next Halloween to do something with my facial hair and my hair. But then I remember, like, I'm not 12 years old anymore, and I probably shouldn't do that because uh, <laughs> I'm not a baby. The The only time I've ever fucked with, like, my hair is uh, Game 7 for the Leafs. The old, like, you know what I'm talking about, Game 7. I went to Maple Leaf yeah, Square yes, with okay. my buddies, like, took the train down as, like, eh, not a kid, but, like, you're not that old. And I took the train down. I had my hair, like, blue and white. I had face paint on. I had an inflatable Stanley Cup. And I've now correlated game seven with that. And I just, I don't want to do anything with my hair ever again. Yeah, that's, that should be blocked out. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, I know you need to get out of here, but where can people find you on social media? Uh, okay, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Jamie Branjay2. So that's J A M I E B as in Bob, R A N as in Nancy, J E for the very slow pulled out uh, explanation of my Twitter handle. It's Jamie Brand J2. And on Instagram, it's just uh, at Jamie Brand J. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Jamie, I'm super thrilled you're part of this program, dude. It's so awesome having like another Toronto guy part of it so I can have you on and shoot the shit about the Leafs. But like all the stuff we've talked about in our interviews and stuff like that, I don't want to bore people. I, I was just fired up the day I got to speak to you. I'm fired up of what you can do with this team. And I'm really excited to just like facilitate and help you grow, man. Cool. Yeah, let's get to it. Let's get rolling. Let's do it. Uh, I'd definitely like to have you on the podcast again. This was a shit ton of fun. We got to talk about everything. We get to talk about sports. And at the end of the day, getting to hang out and talk about sports is like what every kid basically grows up wanting to do that or playing video games professionally and i think we chose the wrong avenue there but for jamie <laughs> i am matt this is tunnelly box radio on the or this is coast to coast on tunnelly box radio we'll see you next time